Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Where are we? We're pretty much G-spot Cotswolds. Uh, so just up the road is Bybury. Very popular with uh, Japanese tourists. Apparently, apparently the local story is that many moons ago, a Japanese emperor or somebody from the royal family came to the UK and visited Bybury. And he thought it was so special that it's now in Japanese folklore. So if you're in Japan, you, you grow up learning about Bybury. So we'll cycle through it and you'll see it is it's mayhem. And who are you? Me? Well, I'm Dr. Cool these days. I got an honorary doctorate a couple of weeks ago. Dr. Cool, that's a Bond villain's name, isn't it? <laughs> but, what are you, cool. but what do you do? You're not really a Bond villain. Uh, no, uh, I'm a professional mountaineer, professional mountain guide. Uh, I specialise on Everest. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. When you went out to get your bike, my wife leans across and says, he's quite good looking, isn't he? <laughs> Keep this in. Yeah. This can stay in. A bit disturbing. She's, she's done that a few times recently. Had a, uh, a friend of mine, Johannes. Oh, yeah. Who's a... He uh, sounds dangerous. Well, he's a personal trainer, so he, oh. he's a trainer to one of the... Um, he's from LA. He was brought up in New York, lives in LA, and he's a personal trainer to um, one of the tennis pros. So he's over in for Wimbledon. His, his man gets knocked out third round or something like that. So he comes to stay for a couple of nights. Jazz comes in from the, from the gym. And in her own words, this Greek Adonis was stood in my kitchen. <laughs> you need to pick your friends more carefully. Yeah. And the interviews you agree to. How did you go from being in High Wycombe to being high up in the Himalayas? How did it all start? How did you get into mountaineering? So, I was basically living just outside Oxbridge in... Uh, Middlesex, I was actually used to a little place called Denham. End of the tube line, really? Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, so we were actually li living in Denham. And one of my good friends at school, when I knew, climbed, he had a very adventurous father. I mean, my father was scout leader and big into the outdoors. Uh, but my father didn't climb or anything like that. Uh, my father introduced me to, to this sort of landscape and uh, being out in the woods and not being self-sufficient, but making shelters and dens and fires and things like that. 
But Andy Fawkes, he's quite a big rider. Uh, Andy, uh, Cat 1, I think, or Cat 2 maybe. Anyway, wow. Andy's dad was like a professional rally driver, among other things, and was climbed. And the boys, uh, Andy and his brother Roger, used to go down Brunel University climbing. They have a climbing wall there. Climbing wall there. Very early climbing wall. And uh, I just plucked up the courage one day and said, you know, can I come? And uh, yeah, I loved it. I was a hockey player really before that. I used to play the hockey to a relatively good level. You climbed trees as a boy, that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah, I grew up on the corner of a farm field. Little wooden bungalow, no mains drainage, uh, no, no central heating. You, know, you used to have a little oil fire, wood burning stove to heat the water. And my father was unemployed for quite a lot of my teenage years, so we had no money. So, you know, what we're seeing here, so farmland was my playground. Yeah. Used a holiday every year, same place in West Wales. Your only child, brothers and sisters? Got a younger sister. Yeah, so, you know, there weren't any flash holidays or toys or stuff like that. And we used to entertain ourselves, but it's basically being kicked out the, the back door. So I've always had quite a passion for being outdoors and camping and staying overnight in dens or climbing trees, like you said. But the climbing came, that's 17, 18. Spoke to Andy, we started rock climbing down on the south coast in Dorset, Swanage. Uh, and then between A levels and university, we went, you know, four of us went off to the Alps and somehow survived an alpine season. And kind of learned as we went along, which was somewhat dangerous. I was going to say, yeah. But, you know, we lived to tell the tale and I was fully bitten by the bug. Yeah. Went what? to Leeds University, very active climbing club there. Super active, a lot of enthusiasm. And then more recently, I had the total honor of going back for an honorary doctorate. So I was up there on graduation day. Uh, the new installation of a chancellor. Yeah. Dane Professor uh, Jane Francis, who was one of my lecturers when I was at uni there. What did you study? Geology. Yeah. Of course, uh, rocks. Rocks and minerals. Yeah, so, she, so she's a new chancellor and she uh, bestowed upon me a, an honorary doctorate. Brilliant, what a thrill. Oh, amazing. I know it's pomp and ceremony, but it was a beautiful day and it's my university. <laughs> and to go back there, oh, it was so wonderful. But after you graduated the first time, did you go into the world of real work or did you no. know at that point, I'm going to go straight so, into management? No, I came out of Leeds, didn't really know what I wanted to do. And it always surprises me, I look back on that and think, well, so many people come out of uni and they head straight to finance or yeah. start doing you know, accountancy exams with whoever it may be, um, you know, Deloitte or whoever. Yeah. I, mean, I just think, how do you know that? Uh, I, I came out of university, I had no idea what I wanted to do. I think partly because I was very naive and I lived in this fantasy land of climbing, uh, which for me was everything. Did you know you were good at it? No, I shit at it. <laughs> I'm not a good climber, really. Uh, I've been lucky enough that, I think it was Carnegie once said, yeah, I was clever enough to surround myself with people cleverer than I. 
and I've been blessed with climbing with some of the world's very best climbers. But they would say you're one of those. Oh, yes, man. Ask me to do something, I'm like a golden Labrador. Yes, I'll do that. Involves lots of suffering, I don't care. I'm good, I'm good at grinding it out. Uh, like a bike, I'm not good in the hills. I'm not punchy, I'm not a sprinter. I grind miles out. And I think if you throw yourself into the mountains enough, and if you've got the technical know-how and the knowledge, then you, you grind out what the general public would call success. Oh, you get into the top of mountains. Yeah. I mean, it's not really success, success coming home. Uh, but you, you, you do it enough, it's gonna stick somewhere. Uh, so yeah, that's what, that's what I did. I was, I was very, I'm good at putting up with hardship. There can't be a climber, or arguably even a red-blooded human being that, you know, who's into adventure, you know, that at some stage hasn't dreamed or thought about or would like to go to Everest. You know, a friend of mine come back and said, Oh, I'm a climber. Can't think of anything worse. Cues and, and you know, fixed ropes, and you, you lean on a Sherpa for support. It doesn't interrupt. Look at the view. Stunning, isn't it? Stunning, isn't it? But until you actually go there and experience it, I don't think you're in a position to cast judgment. No. You can go and climb Mont Blanc, and it's busy. You, know, you can climb, climb Ben Nevis, and it's busy. These are honeypot mountains. Yes. But it's Everest we're talking about. And I, you know, I would challenge my friends who criticise me by saying, okay, here's a free trip to Everest. So you know, the clients I work with, you know, I've genuinely been working with them for two, two and a half, three years. And we go to other parts of the world, we climb in the Alps, we forge a meaningful relationship. So by the time we go there, we're friends. You know, it's not a transactional thing. And a lot of the criticism, and the rightly so criticism on the mountain, is when people essentially just buy into teams. Yes. There's no collective spirit, there's no culture, there's no common vision because there's everybody for themselves. And um, I try to avoid that, and I do avoid it. I'm not interested in that transactional relationship. Now, I, wanna, I want to be able to laugh and cry and celebrate with my clients who are my friends and my Sherpa team. And we, we have one common vision and goal and we are a collective and we do work together rather than a hodgepodge of random people who buy onto a trip and come together and meet perhaps for the first time in Kathmandu or even in base camp and are expected to form bonds and look after one another. It doesn't work like what that. What was it though that got you hooked on it that first time? What was the, <coughs> what was the thing about it? I, I think I find open spaces gives me a sense of, of well-being, of meaning, of belonging. Yeah. And I grew up on the corner of a farm field, like I said, and we always had space. And I spent some time in London, I found it incredibly claustrophobic. And you, you can't see the horizon, and you, there are people all around you. And all of a sudden I found myself on sea cliffs or on, in, in the Scottish Highlands or in the Alps, or very quickly I went to the Himalayas. Uh, organized my first Himalayan trip when I was 19. And it's that sense of, well, that's reality Yeah. for me. Yeah, sense of wonder at it, the natural beauty of it. Yeah, a little bit. The perspective and, and, it gives you. And also you. the clutter of Western society life is stripped back. Uh, 
you're sort of concerned about, on, on an expedition, you're concerned about the weather, you're concerned about your hydration and your nutrition and your shelter. Yeah. And that's about it. Yeah, I think in the West, our, you know, our society, we try to quantify too much. Now, it doesn't matter if we climb 14, 15, 16 times. I mean, like, who cares? You know, it's the, it's the quality of the ascent and the quality of the journey. You know, the conditions are different, the wind's different, the weather's different, the client, I've always been there with a client, or bar 2013. Um, there's all the different little nuances, sometimes being there with film guys, sometimes I haven't. So it is always different. Uh, and it keeps you on your toes. And it's beautiful. And people always say, well, Jesus, why don't you go climb other mountains? Well, why don't you do this? And, but it's, it's twofold or threefold. Partly it's work. Everest is a honeypot mountain, for better, for worse. And it is my sort of given for cash earning for the year, because I can plan around that. Yes. Two, I love working there with my Sherpa friends. The Sherpas are such a nice race of people, so generous and kind and hardworking. Uh, so, you know, you've got that. And, and then I, I love it. I utterly love working on Everest. This is something that um, others have talked about. Ben Saunders, you know, the poet explorer. Right. Yeah, and, and it's very telling. And you know, Ben, I'm sure Ben will say the same. You know, you come back, you come back to this sort of weird way of life here, and it's somewhat overpowering to start with. Yeah. Uh, then the, the noise, uh, not the physicality of the noise, but just Just the noise around, the noise of life, it's quite overwhelming, yeah. suffocating. And you don't get that on an expedition. So why not move to the mountains permanently? Well, I did for a while. I, I lived in Chamonix for six, seven years, but I found it was the same shit, different place. <laughs> you know, only now all the correspondence and the shit was in French, <laughs> not English. And I can't speak or write or read French. And it was interesting, I moved back from France in 2008-9 and the following year I was back out working. So flew over for like two or three weeks to do some work. I still got a house over there. And all of a sudden I think I appreciated the mountains again. I think for my six or seven years living there, they're on your doorstep. You begin to take them for granted. Yeah. And, and that's wrong. So you need that distance. I think I do. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. And the other thing that I found very quickly with trips, I was 19, organized a trip to Pakistan. Yeah, I'd never really been out of Europe. And all of a sudden we're in Pakistan, and it's a very different place. Very different place to, to anywhere I'd ever been before. I got violently ill. Uh, you know, the whole the climbing was on a different scale. And we, uh, we did a new route. So climbed a, a line which nobody had ever done before. Wow. On a sub 6,000 meter peak. So not massively high, but... but it's still pretty hard. High. Yeah, pretty high. I mean, much higher than anything in Europe. And... Um, We'd gone up one way, we'd have come off the back of the mountain and then I'd walk all the way back round to base camp. So, like a two-day walk. Oh, my God. And do you have, do you have enough fuel? Oh, no way. No, no, we ran out of food and fuel. So dangerous? No, no, it's just walking all round in the valley. And we come out, we come out of the snow line into to a high alpine meadows. Beautiful. And you get bombarded with the smell of life. Yeah. The, the, the smell of, of grass and... Yeah, just life. Yeah. And it's an explosion to the senses. Anyway, we, we're walking through the meadow. It's three of us. And uh, up ahead, you can see this figure going sort of lolloping up the hillside towards us. And we're like, oh, what's going on here? And um, man, or boy really, probably 17, 16, 17. Yeah. Uh, with a shepherd's crook or some description. And he's a goat herder. And he's kind of shouting and waving at us, and we don't quite know what to do. Is he happy? Is he smiling? Can't tell. Okay. I thought he was going to be quite aggressive. But we're too tired to run away, and there's nowhere to run to. Yeah. Yeah, so this dude's wearing rags. Can't speak a word of English. We can't speak a word of uh, Urdu, I think he was. And just through uh, pointing, hand gestures, you know, pulling on shirts, you know, basically he invites us back to his yurt. <laughs> and... This kid's got nothing. He's up there all summer. Now, remember, I'm 19. Yeah. Grew up in Denham, quite an affluent area. We had no money, but it was an affluent area. And you know, we, we weren't middle class. You know, we were on the poverty line when I was growing up. But in the greatest schemes of world poverty, even those who are poor sin here. Yes. You know, they're not, they're not poor. No. And there's this, this kid who has nothing. And a filthy old yurt thing, and he shared absolutely everything with us. And was he on his own? He, he lived on, on his he own. He was on his own. He's up there for the summer. Wow. Summer pasture land. Uh, almost certainly illiterate. Um, I mean, I'm guessing, but you know. And, and he shared everything that he had, which yeah. was basically nothing. Turn right just around the corner here. And in an instant, I think I fell in love with the people of the Himalayas. And you see it time and time again. 
Doesn't matter whether it's in Bhutan, which is basically the far uh, east of the Himalayas, Nepal, India, Pakistan, Afghanistan, you see the same generosity of people that yeah, have nothing. Yeah. And their deep ingrained community spirit and how friendly they are and how welcoming they are. And then you come back to London Heathrow and you're thrown back into what we deem to be a cultured society. It makes you question everything. We've only got one go at this poxy little silly thing called life. And it's a cliche, but we're not going to come back. I don't know if you're religious. I don't know if you're listeners are particularly religious. No, I'm not either. No, I don't believe in reincarnation or second go or all that sort of thing. And I, I don't believe that the pearly gates are going to give us anything uh, beyond death. Uh, so if, if we don't die with a big smile on our face, knowing that we've lived life in whatever form that may be, because it's a very individual thing, we're not going to have another go. Death in the mountains is often very lonely, very slow, unless you're, of course you fall off, and leaves people with lots of questions. So it's very selfish, I think, to die that way. Whereas, you know, if you pass away gently, after hopefully a very short illness or maybe even no illness, you know, you don't leave those unanswered questions yeah. of wife, family, friends, or whoever it is. You know, there's no Saffron saying, Mummy, just tell me again what happened to Daddy. Mm -hmm. Because Saffron will know what happened to Daddy. Daddy did, didn't sort of succumb to lack of oxygen and die lonely in a tent on his own at 7,500 metres on you know, the flanks of whatever mountain it is. Have you had any close scrapes? Yeah, of course you do. Uh, now, everything from avalanches to rockfall to exhaustion. What's the closest you've been to death? Yeah, we're in Pakistan years ago, so this would have been 99, maybe, 97. And we're trying a massive unlined, unclimbed ridgeline. And uh, <clears throat> I was leading out ahead. So I was sort of fixing the rope and we had a fixed line with us. And I just remember looking up and we're hearing something and looking up and the sky was full of uh, falling rocks Whoa. and it was quite steep terrain that I was on so not sort of terrain that you could dodge about you've just got to freeze coming close to the rock and just hope that they miss you try and get as much protection you can from your helmet I know it sounds ridiculous but you, can't, you just try and make yourself small yes. And these rocks impacted all around me. One in between my arm and my face. And I was left with the smell of cordite in the air. And somehow they'd all missed me. But the rope, there was a rope which I had, which I literally just tied off to an anchor point. That rope had been decimated. No. It just taken the, the fixed line, which I'd fixed with the other boys to come up away. I mean, a, it could have taken me off. B, one of, the, one of my teammates could have been climbing up the rope. You saw Juma up the rope. It was very hard climbing we were doing. Juma yeah. up the rope. He could have been on that rope. And he would have died. And it's just a total Russian roulette. There's nothing we could have done to predict that or avoid that. That is objective danger. What personal ambitions do you have left to do? 
Uh, because you did the, you did Nupsi Everest Lotsi, or was yeah. it the way around, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, so, yeah, no, exactly that. Uh, Which was for yourself. Yeah, well, it was for myself, but it was a snatched opportunity. I had a client no-show on Everest. And for those who aren't aware, and I'm not sure I even am, Lotsi and Nupsi, what's their relationship to okay, Everest? So Are they like Everest. on the shoulder of Everest? Yeah, you've got Everest. And on the south side, there's a, a, a hidden valley, the Western Coombe. And that Coombe is bounded by the three mountains, Everest. At the end of the Coombe, you've got Lotsi, which is the fourth highest mountain in the world. First climbed by the Austrians in 55. And then you've got Nupsi, 19th highest mountain in the world. Um, first climbed by the Brits, actually, in the 60s, with the one very young, it's a British army expedition, with a very young Chris Bonington. Huh. Um, and people had climbed all three. I think, the, I, think only two, I think only two people have climbed all three, maybe three people climbed all three. And then what, what, what we did, or what I did, is basically chain them. So they climb one after the other after the other. Yeah. In quick succession. We actually did it in a week. Well, I did it in a week. Uh, base camp to base camp. So, uh, yeah, it was pretty full on. We were very lucky with the weather. And so how do you top that? Will you do something along those lines again? Uh, so for a couple of years, we tried to get off the ground, get funding for what I called... So the first one is called the Everest Triple Crown. Uh, so Everest, Lhotse and... and um, uh, I think you know, three peaks, you've got no, it's all tongue in cheek to three peaks in the UK. Okay. And, uh, and then afterwards I thought, well, you know, actually I'm quite good at this uh, high altitude lark. <laughs> so I tried to get funding to go and do Everest, Kanchenjunga, which is the third highest mountain in the world, and K2, and do them back to back. So one, two, three, or one, three, two, three, two, one. Over a period of about three months. Wow. But I couldn't get the funding together. It looked like Land Rover at one stage was all over it, and then Brexit came along and sort of oh. shot that in the foot. And, and it's kind of fizzled a little bit. And I know a buddy of mine, he's got a client to, uh, to fund it for him. So a buddy of mine's gonna attempt it next year. No, no one's ever really attempted it. And can I just say my mind is full of images of the Himalayas, but right now we're cycling past the most manicured dry stone walls. <laughs> I think I've ever seen in my life. Well, honestly, we get along here and it will open out towards the Windrush uh, River and it, it's to die for. What's this, a chicken farm or something? I'm not sure. I passed, this, I passed this the other day. No, they're, they're chickens, I think, or yeah. maybe turkeys or something like that. There's a definite funk in the air of, of poultry. Yeah, what I quite like about it, it's turkeys, you can see them. Relatively open look. A red, red turkey, are they them? So they've got, yeah. they've got quite a lot of room to run around those turkeys. Yeah, until Christmas. Well, yes. <laughs> How long do you think you'll go on for with the climbing, just until you, until you drop, as long as you don't drop off a mountain? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you can always tone things down. I mean, it doesn't have to be Everest or... Uh, some of the old Zermatt guides are in the 70s and still guiding uh, the Matterhorn. Chris Bonington climbed the old man of Hoy on his 80th birthday. Oh. Uh, and that's no mean feat, I and mean, that's quite a technical climb, isn't it, the old man of Hoy? Yeah, yeah, a little bit. It's I mean, a stack it's, in the sea, yeah, people I mean, don't it's, know. It's, actually, it was the BBC's first outside live broadcast. Yes, someone climbing. It was, it was at Chris it was Bonington. Bonington. Yeah, Bonington and Tom Patey and, and, uh, and people. So... The thing is, you say old man of Hoy to people listening to a cycling podcast, and they'll think you mean Chris. Yeah. <laughs> 
Do people often think that you made your own name up because it just sounds too good to be yeah. true for a mountaineer? Yeah. And it is Quite genuine. Often. It is a genuine name. So um, what it is, the, uh, the cool, C-O-O-L. Um, and who wouldn't want to be called cool, by the way? Who wouldn't want to be? Well, think about my wife. Jazzy. Jazzy cool. That is, I would That's buy that album. Jazzy cool. So, another uh, uh, combine. Check it out, combine. They work harder. They do. So the cool, my grandfather, uh, had a Germanic name. So we're five generations, uh, four generations from being a German family. And my grandfather, who was born in London, a uh, German mother, no, a German, German father, um, had a surname of Kuhl, K-U-H-L-E, yeah. with umlauts. And living in London with a Germanic name in the Second World War. Not cool. Not cool, yeah. So it's changed by Depol, and anything that associated the family with Germany was thrown into a small brook stream by, um, by Paddington Station. Oh, really? Literally? So great-grandfather's Iron Cross, all those things. Anything associated with the family with Germany was destroyed. And then, uh, so that's where the cool came from. And then uh, Kenton, my parents were avid BBC4 Archers fans. <laughs> okay. And the, one of the main characters in the Archers is Shula Archer, and her brother is Kenton Archer. And that's where they first heard the name. Are they still in it? They can't be in it still. I think Shula might still be. I don't, I, Kenton's been and gone a few times. A bit like Dirty Den in EastEnders. He was a bit of a bad boy. Yeah. But that's when they first heard the name. And they liked it. So yeah, there we are, Kenton Cool. It's hard not to like. Do you like it? Uh, growing up, it wasn't the best. Why? Well, I don't think that sets you apart when you're a child. You yeah. get ridiculed for it, don't you? So, oh, you think you're cool and be taken out of the back and give me a bit of shoeing. Um, but then as you get older, I work in the service industry. You know, anything that sets you apart has got to be good. Yeah. yeah Does it get shortened to Kent or Kenny or...? I get called KC a lot. KC? Yeah. So then that asks, begs questions about the Sunshine Band and... Well, absolutely. Daddy, daddy cool. Uh, children like singing that a lot. <laughs> uh, certain people from certain eras know me as different things. And you know, that's pretty cool, I think. As you, as you meander your, your way through life and you meet different people at different periods of your life, you know, having different nicknames or names, I think it's pretty cool. It is cool. You are cool in name and in nature. You are Dr. Cool. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, pleasure, man. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. <laughs> 